0: Professor James Hitchcock has earned degrees, numerous degrees. He has an A.B. from St. Louis University in 1960 and went on to get an M.A. from Princeton in 1962 and his Ph.D. from Princeton in 1965. He has held a number of teaching positions. He has taught at St. John's University and also served as assistant professor of history at St. Louis University. Acting Chair of the History Department uh, at St. Louis University, Professor of Law in History uh, at St. Louis, and has been a Professor of History at St. Louis since 1971. And he is still teaching a history course, he told me last evening, at Kendrick Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, He has authored numerous books that did a great deal to help many, many people. Some of his works, The Decline and Fall of Radical Catholicism, Recovery of the Sacred, Catholicism and Modernity, The New Enthusiasts, What is Secular Humanism, The Pope and the Jesuits, Years of Crisis, The Supreme Court and Religion in American Life, which was a two-volume work published in 2004, And recently, a single volume, History of the Catholic Church, published in 2012. Numerous scholarly articles have appeared in the Catholic Historical Review, in the New Catholic Encyclopedia, in the Dictionary of Christianity in America, and other places. Articles have also appeared in the New York Times, Commentary, Commonweal, America, Yale Review, American Scholar, National Review, the South Atlantic Quarterly, Modern Age, Crisis, the New Oxford Review, First Things, and other journals. Also numerous editorships as well, for Communio, for Continuum, for the 16th Century Journal, New Oxford Review, Human Life Review, and also Touchstone. He has also earned numerous honors and awards, The Cardinal Wright Award from the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars in 1981. The Frederick Ozenham Award from the Society of Catholic Social Scientists. And the Founders Award from the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars in 2013. He was married to the late Helen Hull Hitchcock, a wonderful woman who had visited the college on a number of occasions, editor of Adoramus and director of Women for Faith and Family. And together they had four daughters. Now, on a personal note, he has always been an inspiration to me. Throughout the chaos of the 60s and the 70s, his was always a calm voice of sanity, judgment, and insight, which helped countless Catholics and others to see what was actually going on in that chaotic period. And his great work continues up to the present moment. Over the years, he has remained a good friend of Christendom College and served on its board of directors back in the late 80s. It is indeed an honor and a joy to have him with us today and we salute him for his scholarship and service. Christendom College established the Queen Isabel Catholic Vision of History Award to honor and recognize those who have made an outstanding contribution in the field of historical studies. This award was first given to our college founder, Dr. Warren Carroll. It is now my pleasure to present this award to Dr. James Hitchcock for his outstanding contributions to the Catholic vision of history. Dr. Hitchcock. I'll just put it right back.
1: The college has literally placed a burden on me, as you could see, I needed help to hold that thing up. I'm not sure how I'll get it home, but that's another question. <clears throat> um, I might uh, all of us have interest in a particular area of history, which is our own history. And today I'm going to inflict a little bit of my own history on you, hoping it won't bore you too much and that you might find it interesting in some respects. If I ever wrote my memoirs, I would like to use the title, uh, I Alone Have Escaped to Tell You of This. (laughs) But that was already used by the late great Ralph McEnany, my good friend. It's 56 years since I sat out there in an audience uh, waiting to receive my degree. And a very distinguished individual was here at the podium giving out wise words. I mean, the parallels are remarkable, the two incidents. And that individual was none other than, I don't remember. (laughs) But anyway. I alone have escaped to tell you of this because there aren't too many of us left anymore who have vivid first-hand memories of what we call the 60s. And I want to try to run through that pretty briefly. There are many things that could be said about it. My watch won't cooperate, so I won't be able to see the time. Um, I was in college in the late 50s at St. Louis University which was in some ways, excuse me, uh, the peak period of American Catholicism. It was during the period of the great Thomistic uh, ascendancy. St. Louis University was considered the great American center of Thomism. And like a lot of other young Catholics of that era, I kind of defined myself as a liberal Catholic. Now that meant, on the one hand, being a New Deal Democrat. Well, you took that for granted. <laughs> I didn't know any, any Republican Catholics until somewhat later. Uh, the other side was uh, religiously and theologically. And the self-described liberal Catholic was very determined not to cross the line into heterodoxy. And at the same time, are there not other approaches we could have to our faith uh, besides uh, strict Thomism. I remember asking an elderly Jesuit this question. He said, well, I'll see. And he came back and he said, I've heard of a theologian by the name of Hans Urs von Balthasar. And uh, you might try r- reading one of his books. And uh, I and others discovered uh, Jean, uh, D- Jean Danielou and Henri de Lubach and later on Louis Bouyer, and a little bit later still, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, and there opened up an entirely different world. I will not attempt to sort out the uh, two sides in this debate, uh, the strict Thomists and then these other people who are working in other ways, except again to emphasize that it was considered essential to the Catholic liberal position never to stray uh, into heterodoxy. There were faint stories of ecumenism in that period, and I was very much interested in the historical aspect of it. And it occurred to me that while we tended to have, again, Catholics on one side, Protestants on the other, uh, with nothing in between, as it were, maybe the real understanding of that period lay in what seemed to me at that time the neglected later Middle Ages from the time of St. Thomas Aquinas until the time of Martin Luther, somewhat neglected. And I thought, well, when I go to graduate school, uh, that's what I think I'll want to study. I was becoming aware of things like uh, nominalism in philosophy and theology, uh, the devotio moderna and the brethren of the common life, late medieval mysticism, other things of this kind, Christian humanism. How do these things all fit? Is there some possible way in which we can uh, see grounds for uh, coming together in this? So I went to graduate school, the idea of of doing that. Now I had two principal professors in graduate school. One of them in medieval history was named Joseph Strayer. A very, very interesting person There's a book called Inventing the Middle Ages by a man named Norman Cantor, who was a graduate student some years ahead of me at Princeton, I never met him, but in his book has some interesting descriptions uh, of Strayer. And he mentions, for example, he once said to Strayer, I'd like to do a seminar paper on Thomas Aquinas' theology of kingship. And Strayer said, well, if you wanna do that, go to the philosophy department. We're historians. If we don't study the tax records, who will? (laughs) Now, uh, so I studied the tax records with Professor Strayer. I've never made use of them since. It wasn't the only thing we studied. He also wrote very well and significantly on our patron here, St. Louis the Crusader. But in retrospect, I'm very grateful for this because I want to interject maybe a slight heresy here. No matter how exalted your view of education, no matter how uh, sublime it is, your attempt to achieve, to reach truth, every school must first of all be a trade school. They have to teach you your trade. What are the materials you can work with? How do you work with them? How do you put them together? Those are the kinds of things that uh, I learned from Professor Strayer above all. My actual director was a man by the name of E. Harris Harbison, who I realized was the last of the old time Presbyterians at Princeton. And uh, he was very interested in the kinds of things I was. I came to him at one point and I said, I wanna do my dissertation on John Collett. Seemed to me to be the perfect subjects. I don't know, I won't take a poll on how many of you know who John Collett was Is is it possible to graduate from Christendom without knowing? I suspect it may be. Uh, Professor Harbison said, oh, I think enough has been done on him already. Well, later I thought that wasn't quite true, but in any way, I moved on to something else, a very different kind of subject, uh, what I called popular religion in Elizabethan England at a time when the concept of popular religion was just beginning to be accepted in historical circles And that was an attempt to find out what did the people of that time really think in terms of religious matters? Leaving aside the polemics that went on at the theological level, what what was the actual practice, the living practice of people? Not easy to to find out in all cases, needing to scour uh, all kinds of obscure records. When I came up for uh, my dissertation uh, defense, Professor Harbison, unfortunately, being incapacitated now by illness, the first thing that Professor Strayer said to me was, I'm surprised you found out so much. That seemed like a very mild praise. But I heard later from someone that if he writes a letter of recommendations that says this man does good work, that's considered ecstatic. So I, I accepted uh, that, that particular praise. <coughs> um, What I realized from my dissertation among other things was the crucial importance of ritual in religion. We have ritual before we have theology. The ritual exists and then we reflect upon it. Um, At the time as the storms of Vatican II were beginning to brew, uh, it was commonplace to say that traditional Catholicism was superstitious and was full of meaningless ritual. Well, I got very interested in anthropology and I discovered from anthropology, there's no such thing as meaningless ritual. You can always discover the meaning of the ritual if you put your mind to it. And so I became very uneasy about uh, certain, a lot of things were being said, especially uh, about the liturgy. Now in 1972, I was one of the founders of the so called Latin Liturgy Association at a time when it appeared as though Latin liturgy in any form had disappeared. It's amazing how much restoration there has been since. But even in that capacity, as a founder of the Latin Liturgy Association, one of the things I've escaped to tell you is things were not altogether healthy liturgically before Vatican II, no matter what you may sometimes hear. There were problems. There were things that needed to be done. Wise individuals like Father Bouillet tried to guide this uh, in a responsible way. And as he's documented, we're often thwarted and unfortunate results came in many many ways. Now around this time, uh, I was reaching a fork in the road that I didn't realize. Being the kind of liberal Catholic I was, you never crossed the line into heresy. It was becoming more and more obvious to me that some liberal Catholics indeed were doing that. Spirit of anger and resentment uh, against church authority. And uh, being an old-fashioned liberal Catholic, I thought, well, somehow or other, uh, they just haven't noticed it. So I'll take time out from my scholarly work and I'll write a book pointing out this fact, The Decline and Fall of Radical Catholicism. Well, what the book proved, of course, was that they did know exactly what they were doing, uh, and it had not been the fact that they had overlooked something. My insight into the nature of ritual was expressed in uh, The Recovery of the Sacred. Uh, The Decline and Fall of Radical Catholicism describes what was happening. If you wanna know why it was happening, then I recommend another book of mine called Catholicism and Modernity, but I'm not gonna go on from here. I continue to do scholarly work of one kind or another, but I didn't realize that I had undertaken a lifetime of uh, supporting authentic Catholicism uh, in contemporary terms from contemporary dangers and difficulties, uh, and that that process would never end. Uh, I, I will go to my grave still doing that uh, in some respects or other. Would I have made that choice back in 1970 if I knew I was going to make it? In retrospect, I hope I would have, but it's possible uh, that I would not. I would have liked to have been uh, the person who wrote uh, one of the great historical masterpieces of the last 50 years, Religion and the Decline of Magic by Keith Thomas, or uh, almost as great, The Stripping of the Altars. (coughs) (coughs) by, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> in any case, uh, uh, I passed that up. Could I have done as much great work as Keith Thomas did? Uh, I don't know, but I would like to think I could have. I am. If you ever read that wonderful book tucked away in, the, in, in some of the footnotes, if you have a magnifying glass, you might actually see my name here and there. <coughs> um, So here we stand today, me, uh, an escapee, to tell you in the barest possible terms uh, what I experienced. A very interesting uh, little anecdote. When I was in graduate school, several of us got together. There were some graduate students and a few junior faculty here and there. Maybe we could try to start a lay Catholic college because the uh, clerically-run institutions are never going to change. They're just going to remain rigid the way they are. If there's going to be any uh, hope for a liberal Catholic institution, it'll have to come from the laity. That never got off the ground. Who would ever have guessed that there would be a wave of uh, neo-Catholic colleges in the United States run by laymen, that they were the ones preserving the authenticity of the faith, often against the infidelity in some of the clerically-run institutions. So we're celebrating here uh, a very triumphant uh, uh, event. I'm very pleased to the fact that uh, I have three of my uh, former students here uh, on the faculty, Brendan McGuire, Michael Kelly, Chris Lane. I was saying the other day, if I still taught graduate students, I could say to prospective graduate students, either as a warning or as a promise, if you finish up with me, you'll get a job teaching at Christendom College. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I know, of course, that uh, the history here is in in the best possible hands, although there's the old fallacy, which has often been pointed out. The student learns about half what the teacher teaches. He, in turn, apports half of that to his students. And finally, going down, 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 there will be no knowledge left. So I don't know. The other version of that is universities are places where knowledge accumulates. The freshmen bring a little with them, and the seniors don't take much away. (coughs) Not at all true, of course, here today. Well, let me thank you again so much for your kindness and for this award you have given me. And I'll try to figure out some way of getting it home Uh, And uh, again, thank you so much.